Well, welcome back to the Work Minus Podcast, where we talk about what needs to be dropped from how we view work today and what we need to add to it. Today's guest is Patrick McGinnis, the author of The 10% Entrepreneur, and this episode is Work Minus Your Day Job. Hi, Patrick. How are you today? Hey, how are you? Doing very well. Excited to have you on the show. Why don't you tell us about a little bit about the premise about The 10% Entrepreneur? What does it mean? Sure. So, you know, Work Minus Your Day Job is... I think a great way to describe the concept. It's the idea that um, all of us should be, be spending a minimum of 10% of our time and if possible, 10% of our money getting involved with entrepreneurial ventures outside of our day job. So whether that's starting something, being an advisor to something, which is basically investing your time um, for ownership in a project or investing your capital in a project. The idea is that we can build a portfolio of entrepreneurial activities that exist outside of our day job that belong to us that we can take with us wherever we go. Yeah. So we're not saying work minus your day job, you need to quit your job, but think differently. You almost need to add this entrepreneurial mindset to what you're doing right now, right? Exactly. Your day job is what allows you to do all these things. It allows you to pay the bills. It allows you to have stability. But Number one, day jobs aren't necessarily stable themselves. And number two is you're a lot more than what it says in your business card. All of us have skills and, and things that we want to explore in our life and that we can't necessarily do in our day job. And so therefore, I wanted to come up with an approach to completely flip the, the script, rethink how our day jobs work into our careers and build something far more entrepreneurial that you control where you have autonomy. Yeah, and I think it's a great idea. And obviously, the 10% element seems very achievable for most people. But let's zoom out a little bit. Let's talk about the state of employment today. You know, we talk about work in general. Do you feel like, based on trends you see, is it still as good of a deal as it was to be an employee 50 years ago, 10 years ago, even? What have been some trends and shifts in our economy? Yeah, so it's interesting to think about it in terms of a, you know, a 20 to 50 year time horizon, because I would say even 20 years ago uh, or, or even 15 years ago, working um, as an employee was kind of the only way to go. I mean, yes, you could start a little business or something, but in general, there was a lot of benefit to going to traditional careers, corporate sector. The money was in finance, law and medicine. And those were the places where all the brightest people went, right? Like if you looked at the graduating class of a top university 20 years ago, it was Wall Street, med school or law school. Right. That has changed, right? There's a couple of interesting things that you can look at. And the recent stats show that about 70% of Americans are disengaged from their work. More than half of lawyers and doctors wouldn't recommend their field to a young person. Only a quarter of people who work in finance are happy in their job. Mm. Um, because we've had these big changes in regulation in the pay and the lifestyle in these, these traditional careers that has meant that, that, uh, that they are not what they used to be. And in fact, if the prestigious careers aren't what they used to be, think about the normal humdrum careers. And so you have this, I would say, hollowing out of the benefits to these careers. And at the same time, given the fact that technology and the internet has shifted the way that we work, anybody can, for very little money, start a company these days. You know, all you need is, um, you know, probably, you know, the, the price of dinner at a reasonable restaurant and a weekend and you can launch a business. And so as a result, um, we've, I think a lot of people, including myself, have rethought the role of, of their traditional careers as part of their overall portfolio of, of, of you know, building their career. 
Right. And and you're obviously very far along in this process in your thinking, but but take it back to somebody who's who's in the middle of that day job, hasn't really thought more about getting out of it. What are some of the barriers that most people have in their day jobs that keeps them from this entrepreneurial mindset? So I think there's a couple. Number one is the strongest is mindset. The idea that if you've never done something before, it seems scary and intimidating is 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 natural. Uh, and it can also feel like maybe it's too much time or too much too much money or you don't know quite where to get started or you might fail all of those things are really about mindset because at the end of the day having now talked with hundreds of people who are doing this all over the world i've realized that uh, this is actually it's so pragmatic i mean if you think about it i'm saying 10% it's so pragmatic that even if you were to fail you've really got nothing to lose because you still have your day job. You, it's, you're an experiment at, at the very sort of worst, right? Mm-hmm. But I do think that people look at this and they say, it's kind of like training for a marathon. Um, when you go out, if you and I've run a marathon, and it's like the first couple weeks you're training, it's in, mentally intimidating and it's hard to get started and you're sore and things like that. But you're just running a couple miles a day when you first get started. And it's the same thing with this. You've just got to put one foot in front of the other and w- move forward and make a plan. And and so that's that's what I advise people to do. But I think it's still, um, it is a change in mindset. It's a change in approach that that is not easy to make for a lot of people. Yeah. And what are some of the skills that most people overlook in themselves when it comes to thinking about being an entrepreneur? All of us, have skills that make us unique and special. Even people who, and this happens to me all the time, people who you would think would know, people who are extraordinary, um, who you would think, well, they, they, they clearly know what they're good at and what they're doing. Uh, a lot of times they're, they don't. And, and, and it's interesting. I was at, uh, I, I was giving a talk at Cambridge university in the UK and a woman came up to me and said, I love this idea, but I don't know what I'm good at or what I should do. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, what are you studying here? And she said, I'm getting a PhD in genetics. <laughs> and so it's like, wow. I mean, come on, if you can't figure it out, but here's the thing. A lot of us, we, um, oftentimes we forget um, there, there, there are things that we may do on a daily basis, like use PowerPoint or use Excel or be a carpenter or design logos, things like that, that to us maybe seem commonplace now because we've been doing them and maybe we work alongside people who do those things. But to the person next door to you or the person on the street seem like magic and that um, these are things that they would value. And so thinking through those things, and I, in the book, I go through a whole bunch of sort of exercises to figure this out. Those are the things that give you a competitive advantage when thinking about what you're going to do. Yeah. Now we're talking about work minus a lot of the people that come and listen to this show are people who are managing teams. So even for them specifically, they may be thinking, okay, yeah, I can get on this idea about being a 10% entrepreneur. But what about the people who are, are managing people who are nervous about the fact of, wow, what if my entire organization becomes this entrepreneurial spirit and my whole business model is made off of them working for me? What are some of the things you can speak into that? Yeah. So I think that's been my biggest, um, that's a surprise, I would say, but it's one of the things that I have dealt with as I've talked about this book, because some corporations invite me in as this time that, you know, sort of like a family member and they want me to talk about this openly. Organizations like Google um, or Viacom are very, they've been really supportive. Other organizations are, act like I am this like, you know, a forsayer of doom and that I'm <laughs> going to ruin their whole company. And what's funny about that is that they're just 
I hate to say it, but they're in denial. 40% of millennials are working on side projects right now. The train has left the station, okay? People are doing these things, whether it's setting up a store on Etsy or starting um, an app on the side or something like that. This is happening. And so what I tell corporations is this is happening. Accept it. And then think about how to make it work for you. And the reality is that the vast majority of people that work on side projects are not looking to go full time. Less than a quarter are. The, these people are looking for, yes, of course, extra income, but they're looking to explore new ideas. They're looking to meet people. They're looking to explore a passion. They're looking to take risks and challenge themselves. Um, and, and all of these things, if channeled correctly, can be brought back into the workplace to make the companies in which these people work more competitive because companies struggle to teach their employees to think entrepreneurial, entrepreneurially, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to tell people, give them a a training um, module on their on your computer or give them a book and say, read this and you'll be an entrepreneurial thinker. The only way to learn to think like an entrepreneur is to do the work of an entrepreneur, to actually go in every day and spend a little time working on something where you could potentially fail, where you have to come up with the ideas yourself, where you have to solve problems. And so what I tell companies to do is encourage your employees to do that on their free time, on their own dime, and then bring that energy back and support the best ideas, support the learning, and find ways to channel that in ways that are really valuable for your company. And when they do that, and they do do that, um, some companies, they find that it's a win for everybody. Can you give any examples that you've seen practically working out in this way for companies? Absolutely. I, 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 there's a, um, a couple of examples that I really like. One is, and I use this one in the book, but it's a, a corporate lawyer, uh, the most, you know, not the, the least entrepreneurial environment possible, I would say. <laughs> and, and yet this lawyer, his name is Hillier Jennings, started a, a, a kind of a, an interesting like wearable tech company on the side. And it's a total sideline. He's, you know, he's not leaving the law firm, but it makes him much happier because he loves it. He sees it as sort of a, you know, something that he owns. And so when he gets back from the office, he, he kind of de-stresses by working on it. But more than that is when you're a corporate lawyer and you've actually worked on building a business um, and you've actually, you know, had to solve the problems of a business person, you are far more in touch with the challenges and needs of your clients. So it just makes him a much better lawyer. That's one. Second is there's a, a kind of a digital agency here in New York City that has all of its employees working on side projects. And then it actually supports the best ones and funds them through the company. Oh, wow. So they had one employee who was making these hot sauces and they created a hot sauce brand and sold it through the company and, and commercialized it. And so that's a really great situation where you're taking great ideas from your employees, you're supporting them. And the employee has actually, it's a real powerful retention tool. And that's what's happening more and more, I think, is large companies are starting to see the fact that by supporting their entrepreneurial uh, aspirations of their employees and things that could be totally unrelated to what they do during their day job, of course, they're actually able to use this as a retention tool. Not that they have to fund them, but that just they can acknowledge this is happening and say, it's okay. We understand that on Sunday afternoons, you like to work on your new business and we think that's cool. And by the way, it's okay if you tell people about this, you don't have to like hide in the shadows. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Yeah. So let's think about hiring people. Um, I'm going to bring in lots of different topics here, but if you're looking to bring in someone new, and they're straightforward. They say, hey, I, I want this job, but I also have this other thing I do on the side. And maybe it's a remote working situation. I think we can all see the benefits of hiring somebody with an entrepreneurial spirit. But what are some of the, the challenges, maybe cautions that an organization should take when they're bringing on that person? So what organizations need to do 
is have very clear rules about these types of things. Because I, I can tell you, on the flip side, there are, you know, it's always a couple bad apples ruining for the rest of the bunch, right? You're right. going to have people who use work resources for their personal projects, who are goofing off during the day. And you know, in the, in, in, in the philosophy of the 10% entrepreneur, the philosophy has always been, you shouldn't have to hide this. And in fact, nobody in the book, and I have dozens of examples of people, nobody's hiding. It's all out in the open. But these are people who do an excellent job at their day job. So they are beyond reproach, A. B, they create a very bright line between the two. They're not using work resources for their own projects. And, and number three is they would never do anything that competes with their employer, that steals ideas from their employers. There needs to be a very clear set of policies. And many companies have these already and are totally fine with this. But I think that um, that's super, super important because if you uh, do not respect your employer and you act in a way that is not ethically uh, sort of beyond reproach, then you're asking for it. And so I think, but it is incumbent upon the employers to lay down the ground rules and be extremely, uh, extremely transparent so that people know what the rules of the game are. Yeah. And I think it brings up another good point is that a lot of people, when they start to think about, okay, what are the talents that I have? Oftentimes those talents are already being used in their day job and the skill set's already there. And the best idea they can think of may be uh, seen as a competition to their current employer. So what would you, how would you advise somebody in that situation who wants to do something, but feels like it, it might conflict with what they're currently doing? So there's a couple different ways to think about that one. The first is it may be that what you're doing leverages some of the same skills. So say you spend your whole day working on spreadsheets at some company. Uh, that is a valuable skill set that can be applied to many different areas. Maybe you become an advisor to a company and you help them with their budget. Who knows? That is totally uncompetitive, even though you're leveraging the same skills. Right. Another thing is uh, there is a reality that 80 percent of successful entrepreneurs, according to the Inc. 500, find their idea while working at a previous job. They see something that is in their industry, in their space, that their company cannot fix. And it may be something that the company just will never bother to fix or that they don't want to get into that business. An employee comes up with that idea. Now, you can still explore that idea as long as you're not competing with your employer, using their resources or poaching anything from them, and then potentially launch a business down the line. So, you know, for example, um, you're working in a company um, and they, there's a huge market opportunity they're never going to take advantage of. And so you, but you realize that working there, that's fine. Where you don't want to get involved is literally, you know, selling to your clients, like, you know, self-dealing, I guess is the right, it's the word. Which sure. that, yeah. That's where you don't want to go or where you have a, for example, an employment contract that says you cannot do X, Y, and Z. That's a whole different story. Um, but what, what I tend to find is, and this happens a lot these days, it's really starting more and more is a lot of times people will find a great idea and get going. And if they're, if they talk to their employer, they could actually get resources and support from the company and potentially investment and, and it can actually end up in a much stronger position to launch that business because they've been able to garner, um, resources from their employer. Yeah. So you would definitely encourage a lot of transparency when it comes to thinking about these opportunities, right? I think there's, well, I think you need to be transparent. Let me give you the counterfactual to that. There are, there could be examples where, for example, you're Steve Jobs, and this is a true story. Steve Jobs launched Apple while he was working at um, Hewlett Packard, which eventually was a competitor, right? So if you are, but you know, as my understanding, he didn't 
violate any of his employment contract or anything like that. But if you're looking to launch your own business, you are not um, you are not violating the terms of your employment. You are being completely ethical um, and you don't feel comfortable telling people because of some perception that it could be, you know, competitive someday. You know, I, I, I think it's, you know, understandable that you wouldn't go broadcasting around the office. But you again, you must it's not even just ethical. It's like if you break your employment contract and then you go out and do this, they're going to sue you and you could be out of business before you get started. So just in terms of being a a, a good business person, you need to be extremely careful about respecting the rules at your workplace. Have you seen any rules and employment contracts that you feel like are are pretty draconian in their, in their usage today that forward thinking companies to to look at and maybe remove from their contracts? Yeah, I think, this tends to be more traditional companies. There is a, I mean, this was a wild story. Uh, when I was interviewing people for the book, there's a large company um, that's owned by um, uh, the Koch brothers, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And the, the, you know, the Koch, the famous Koch brothers. And I met somebody who worked at that company who, you know, was a executive there doing quite well, but had started a business on the side that was not even competitive in any way. And this person was making more money on their side project than they were at their day job. But they had to basically, it was kind of like Homeland or something. Like they had to have like a, how do you call like the computers that you never plug into the internet? (laughs) (laughs) One of those, like he had a, a computer that he kept in his car and he would go outside several times a day and work from his car, um, on this other laptop, uh, in order to run this other side business. And he knew that it was completely verboten. This was not allowed. And so when I interviewed him for the book, I said, listen, your story is very interesting, but I can't include you because what I'm, I'm not encouraging people to do that kind of behavior. But that, I think, is what happens, is when a company is ignoring reality, the reality that, that these days lots of people are, want to work on side projects, and in fact, there's nothing wrong with that. When they're ignoring that reality, they're just encouraging their employees to be deceptive. Well, okay. The title of this episode is work minus your day job. What tell us about a future where there really is no day job. You maybe have a, a something you do 60%, 70% that brings in a bulkier income, but you have so many different side projects and everybody's doing this. What, what does a world like that look like? Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's happening already, right? So I think it's um, the least, the most recent figures had it at something like 40% of Americans will be freelancing by 2020. So this is, the train has left the station on this as well. Um, here's what it looks like. Here's what it should look like. So here's what it might look like, which is a bunch of people freelancing portfolio careers. Um, you know, you have a bunch of clients, everybody's a consultant or many people are consultants. That's fine. And that that is likely going to happen just because of the flexibility and also because companies now want to hire contractors and there's... Um, there has been a movement away from sort of the traditional job because companies can save a lot of money if they pay you like a contractor, right? Right. Now, here's the problem. You don't own anything. So what what I, the reason why I got into this whole world of 10% was because I started freelancing and I realized, huh, um, I am freelancing, I'm making decent money, but the minute I stop working, that's it. Yeah. It's like you, it's like you eat dinner and then you walk away from the table. And I wanted ownership because ownership is the only way to really actually accumulate true wealth. And so what I encourage people to do when they think about the future of work is that's fine. Work flexibly if that's where your path takes you, but always make sure you are an owner, that you have 
ownership in these things, that you have stock. Because what would be really terrible is to work on some project at a lot of value as a freelancer. It becomes some billion dollar company and all you have to show for it is the money you charge as a freelancer. You have no upside. That's the fundamental driver of the 10% entrepreneur is that you are an owner of everything you work on. Yeah, I think that's a huge differentiation between the kind of gig economy that we were seeing that you talked about and the idea of actually yeah, putting some skin in the game and getting ownership out of that, like saying, okay, I'll, I'll contribute to this, but I also want to not be the, the person who's left out. And that's a, it's a very important distinction. Yes, that, that, is, that is really fundamental. And I think the problem is that if you've never been an owner of any business or you've never had stock or ownership and you haven't experienced the power of being a shareholder, it may not be obvious to you. And so you may miss out on that reality. But I'm really convinced that I try to convince other people that that's that's fundamental because many Americans think about the amount of Americans don't even own a stock. Right. And so they're missing out on all of these things. Yeah. Do you find it uh, fairly easy to interact with current business owners whenever you approach them and ask them for some share of ownership? Is that a, a fairly easy conversation or is that one that, that takes a lot of time and, and practice? No, it's uh, shockingly easy. I mean, one thing, <laughs> if you're talking to me and I wrote a book called The 10% Entrepreneur, then you know that I'm going to come for you. I mean, it's, it's going to be part <laughs> of the conversation, but I'll give it you the generic advice of somebody else. I have a friend um, or a generic experience. I have a friend who's a really brilliant guy, data scientist, and he was working, helping a woman out. And, and, um, and I, I knew her as well. And she called me one day and she said, did you give this guy your book? I was like, well, he bought it. Yes. But it, you know why? And she said, well, because he's asking me for stock in the company. I, you know, I, he's been working for me as an advisor. He's been helping me out for free. And he's asked me to give him a little stock. And I was like, well, you sh why didn't you do that in the first place? Like if you want people to help you out, um, you know, it's fine for a little while to just, you know, ask for a favor. But at some point, shouldn't we all try to get incentivize people to give us their best effort and work and energy? And, and isn't that the whole point of the equity in a company is to incentivize people. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's the right thing to do. And, and, and I find that it, it, even if it's a difficult conversation in the beginning, once you get doing this, once you're doing it one time, then everybody else who comes to you, you can point to that one example and say, listen, I do this with this other people. You know, I'd love to help you out as much. I'd love to work with you free for 50 hours a week, but I'm very busy. And frankly, um, I really believe in what you're doing and I want to be a part of it. And would you be willing to, you know, give me some stock? And and it, it's become far more conventional than it was a couple of years ago. And I think it's becoming something that we'll see even more of in the future, especially with books like The 10% out there. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Patrick, for being on the show. I really appreciate uh, you coming on. The book's called The 10% Entrepreneur. Where can we find it? So you can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and any other bookseller, audible.com as well, Kindle. And then if you go to my website, patrickmcginnis.com, uh, you can find links to I have a, a private Facebook group that you're very welcome to join where you can discuss 10% with other people. I'm on LinkedIn, obviously YouTube, Instagram, all that sort of stuff. And then um, if you go to patrickmcginnis.com slash build your 10, you can download a free workbook with some of the exercises that are in the book. And then I talked about today that you can actually get started today on building your 10%. So it's a really great way to, to, to just experiment with the idea. You don't even have to, you know, you can do this for free before buying the book to see if you think it's interesting and then go download that book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's been great to talk to you, Patrick. Work money is your day job. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks for having me. 